I am the doctor, this is my section. Earth is under my protection. Planet of birth is Gallifrey. I've got two hearts, your life is safe. Run into the master raw messy. Come on, Alonzo. Alonzi. I am a time lord. No, I'm not rich. Twelve bodies are men. Now it's time for a switch. Don't look like that. I'm in great health. You were expecting someone else. Regeneration. Oh, such fun. When I say run, run, run. What's up, my boy? Peace and sanity. Sorry, I must dash. Reverse the Polarity. Sometimes I'm north, but always a limey, wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey. Jump in the TARDIS, go for a ride, it's bigger on the inside. Exploring all of time and space, oh, what's that? Exterminate. Cyberman or Daleks, maybe? Would you like a jelly baby? Time's ticking, we'd best go, a new adventure, Geronimo! I am fantastic, so are you, best come with me, I'm Doctor Who. Welcome to a brand new episode of D4WH. I am your host. I feel a bit like a Morse message, slightly scrambled. I'm Adam O'Sullivan. Joined as always by my co-host, Experiment 10. Seeing how long someone can podcast about Doctor Who before breaking, it's Nakia Schutt. Uh, I'm reaching that point, Adam. I'm breaking. Oh, that's great. For the third, an- for the third anniversary, we'll have you uh, losing your mind. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm just uh, excited to hear what you thought of Harry because I know how much you love Harry as a companion. <laughs> mm, yes. Uh, we, we'll, uh, we have a lot to talk about with this episode. Mm-hmm. But first, please welcome our guest. He's not only oscillating, he's ellipsing as well. It's Ben Snaith. Hello. <laughs> how are you, Ben? Thank you for joining us. Feeling good. I've got my smoothie sludge. I've got my coffee. I've got my water. I've got um, this puzzle of Parks and Rec that I started doing on lockdown. Oh, how's the puzzle going? I've got the frame. I've got the frame done. Oh, that's pretty good. Thank you. Is it just different images from the show? Yeah, it's like a collage of images. So sometimes you're like, that's Ron Swanson's head, but is it from this part? Yeah. Or is it his mustache from Mm. another part? Yeah. Yeah. So what you're telling us is that for a Sontaran experiment about uh, dehydration, you're not going to be up for it. No, I'm very hydrated <laughs> today in multiple ways. Yeah, that's right. You've got a lot of hydration going on happening <laughs> it's there. Delightful. Now, Ben, you're an improviser and a musician, is that correct? Yep, totally. Cool. Yeah, I, I've been improvising with Big Folk Theatre for a couple of years. I train with like a physical theatre company as well called Zen Zen Zo, so I am quite like physically jubbly. And then I, but for the most part, yeah, I've been doing music for the past kind of 15 years, like touring and I've played all over the world. And What do you play, Ben? I do a solo project that I, I used to describe as like a backyard Kanye. It's <laughs> because <laughs> it was kind of like big beats and big ego and, you know, but I was very much like coming from an Australian backyard. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that's that's project is called Orlando Furious <laughs> and um yeah I've done like a few albums and wow yeah, toured around a bunch and blah 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 sounds yeah, fun it's been really good yeah it's a fun way to jump up on tables and not get thrown out <laughs> and when you when you re- new, re- release new music you like to uh hold a massive party where you get everyone to hand over their phone so they can't record is that correct whoa like uh, Kanye did recently with his uh his launch party yeah oh <laughs> I didn't realize that was a Kanye reference I was like 
Yeah, I've never done that. I would like, if anything, like, please record more and share more things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's no, right. No, Kanye. Kanye wants to release it on his terms, baby. Totally. Kanye's like, give me them phones. Give me the phones. He could just uh, take everyone's phones and then buy them new ones. <laughs> totally. I keep saying I used to say backyard Kanye to describe it because ever since he went a bit Trumpy, I've been, like, a bit uncomfortable yeah. about it. But then I haven't been able to, like, think of a better, like, <laughs> <laughs> sort of, you know, you need those little two-word, like, three-word little, like, this is what it is, guys. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. And not just Trumpy. He's gone loony. Yeah. he's Yeah, he's loony Trumpy. Yeah. yeah. Cool. You're, you're planning on running for prime minister. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. This is actually the opening of my campaign. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. This is, so this is the party. We've gotten all political. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah, I've, I've posted you my phone as requested. Thank you. Yeah, totally. So that I can't record it. <laughs> Just recording on every other possible way of recording right now. (laughs) All right, Ben, as we do with all new guests, uh, what is your history with Doctor Who? I would probably say my history with Doctor Who is more to do with the music. Like, I really, really love, like, the BBC Radiophonic Workshop and, um, Mm -hmm. like, Delia Derbyshire and, you know, those those kind of experiments. That was what sort of drew me into being like, ooh, what is this kind of thing? And then, you know, I would sort of have, like, little looks at, certain episodes when you know there was in like more modern times and stuff but this was my first experience with like the 70s Doctor Who like I'd I'd like heard about it and stuff but yeah that theme song when it hit like you know just like you're just like <laughs> it's a banger baby it's, it's such a, banger. a banger yeah I love it I gotta tell you my little cavoodle was sitting with me when I was watching it when the music came on she got up looked right at the television. She could not take her eyes off it. It was magic, yeah. <laughs> it like, was. Because I'm wondering, like, the BBC had their, like, sound experiment lab where they would, like, mess with tape and, um, you know, sort of build their own types of synthesizers. And I was wondering if they did the same kind of thing with, like, video effects because that, that lead-in, like, that title sort of, like, scrolling and the way that you're sort of going down a sort of a tunnel... So magical. It, it is yeah. really good. For, it takes me back to being a kid because I watched it as a kid. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, they definitely had to experiment a lot because they didn't obviously didn't have a huge budget. No. So they were just obviously experimenting to be like, ooh, this looks like it could be an alien planet. Totally, yeah. That's what I think is um, to me as like an artist and kind of a person who makes stuff like, you know, that's the – it's the low budget side of it that makes me be like, whoa, they made that work like – you know, just by fixing this stuff together and it looks great. I know. And the music is that good and that cutting edge for its time that it you'd never change it. You'd just never change. No. You might tamper with the edges, totally. but you'd never change it. And like the sound design just generally, like all the like zoom <laughs> kind of things from gun from their lasers and stuff like that. Like, oh yeah, I was I got so into it. I suppose the biggest issue is just the fact that Delia Derbyshire wasn't credited as, you know, helping with the Doctor Who theme until, you know, the past decade or so, which is which is a shame because because, you know, the BBC had their teams of people and so they like to uh pretend it was all a team rather than, you know, single people helping out. So. Totally. Yeah. I think the the past sort of like decade or so has been such a great resurgence for like picking through and finding like female sound people like my partner and I were just listening to 
um, the music of Suzanne Chiani today and last night. And she is kind of an American version of Delia Derbyshire where she like worked with this old 70s synthesizers and then went on to be like commercial sound design. Like she made the like mm. when in Pepsi, when the lid cracks open kind of thing in oh, those really? old 80s ads, like the ch- Ooh, wow. That's Suzanne Chiani, baby. Like, like, yeah. And the music that she just makes is just amazing as well. I thought it was just a case of writing women out of history because kind of that's what we've always done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> even in the documentary that you sent, because Adam, you sent me the two-part episode of the Sontaran experiment and that um, sort of 40-minute kind of documentary about, you know, the Sontarans themselves, which was amazing, by the way. You know, that that kind of boys club vibe was totally there, like, in it, where it is so much just like, oh, there's Jackal there. <laughs> He's like, wow, he's got his pipe <laughs> yeah. and his <it's>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just smoking and, yeah. you know, slapping everyone on the ass yeah. and, you know. That's beautiful, oh, but like in a British one. So when I, when I send these files out with the classic episodes, they're all like in folders, so I just uploaded the folder and sent you the link and then i watched it like in the last couple of days and i realized oh there's a third file in there and then i was like oh okay i hope i don't know i i didn't tell ben not to watch that one oh. anyway i i started to watch it and i was like holy fuck it's 40 minutes long <laughs> and i was like oh my god so i sat down and watched it because i was really worried that you had sat down and watched it <laughs> thinking you were supposed to watch it and yeah you've just confirmed that sorry you didn't watch it um Nikia? no i didn't but if it was about the sontarans i kind of it was i yeah. kind of know anyway yeah thankfully this one was about the episode that we're actually doing totally so. i pretty much watched basically when they stopped talking about the episode that we watched then i was like okay i think i i think i'm i'm all right i'm i'm well versed all right let's uh let's get started our episode today is the sontaran experiment season 12 serial 3 featuring tom baker as the fourth doctor and his companions sarah jane and harry Directed by Rodney Bennett and written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Originally aired on the BBC Saturdays, February 22nd and March 1st, 1975. (laughs) Uh, None of you were alive, were you? (laughs) No, no. It's like eight years before I was born. Yeah. Babies. Yeah. Uh, We start as we always do with a short synopsis that Dr. Harry and Sarah Jane have beamed down to Earth. They meet a crew of humans who have been hunted and experimented on by a Sontaran named Dyer. The Doctor will defeat him and prevent the Sontaran invasion of the human colonies, at least for now. Nice to see that instead of English they got some South Africans to be the crew. Yeah. I mean, normally they're all English, so... I thought that was a nice touch. There was one Welsh guy. Oh, yes, there was. I, I yes. felt like those guys, their accents really evolved as, as like in different <laughs> scenes. Like sometimes I was like, oh, is that an Australian actor there? And it was like, no, no, that, yes. they're just kind of changing yeah. their, yeah. It's definitely an evolved army. They guy. do say that some, 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 sometimes South Africans sound a bit Australian. Yeah. But the, the two writers actually wanted South African actors because they felt the uh, mix of cultures in South Africa would better represent how language would sound in the future. Interesting. Yeah, they could have just gone a little further north in England and grabbed a few of them and then... <laughs> 
But I also, I also wonder if maybe they just hired a bunch of South African actors and then the writers were like, yeah, we meant to do that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I loved their, like, their little team and, like, then there was that crazy guy who oh, um, you know, had been, like, tortured, you know, like, and he, he had all that trauma and they were like, why is he running from us? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's emotional, emotionally fragile because he keeps throwing himself on the ground being like, oh, oh. I love the fact that Her- <laughs> yeah. Sarah is hiding in bright yellow. I <laughs> totally didn't think that through, did yeah. they? Everyone hides in like knee high grass, yeah. and it's like <laughs> we can see you. I thought that she was so amazing. Like her, for her to be in like basically like a rectangle of yellow and just still be like the most charming, like you know, person. And then yeah, even in that little documentary, the interview that she did, I was just like, those cheeks, I just love you. <laughs> like you, are she there. is my absolute favorite companion, always will be. But I love the bit when she pulls her beanie over her eyes. For the doctor, <laughs> just yeah, mucking around. Adorable. Yeah, she is. <laughs> although, although you you always say you know that the doctor says that Sarah Jane's his very very best friend. He gets to Earth and he's like, I don't care what happened to yeah. her. I'll just fix these two things. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. Harry's like, Should we go look for Sarah? And he's like, Whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. I loved the interplay between. Sarah and yeah, who is who's the dude? Harry. Harry, yeah. The way that Harry is such like a what I think of if I was thinking of like a seventies chauvinist man, like kind of guy yes. <laughs> where he's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, so are you hurt? Are you darling? Like <laughs> she's like yeah. old thing. Yeah, but I I th- feel like when he goes, you know, calls her old thing, and he's like, oh, sorry, are you coming, Sarah? I feel like we're supposed to side with like, oh, ho, ho, he can't call her old thing. Oh, you know, but it, it but ne- these days. It's like we're siding with Sarah being like, no, you shouldn't call her old thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I don't know. I think watching it as a kid, I, I remember thinking that it was, you know, I always sided with Sarah, of course, but I'd always think, oh, Harry, he's so old fashioned, you know. Yeah, yeah. Come on, old thing. But I loved, I loved Harry. I loved the interplay with he and Sarah. Yeah, totally. He's got a good heart. Yeah, definitely. And he was the one who actually asked about her. Like, <laughs> mm. <laughs> although this is his third episode and he's still wearing the same outfit that he he wore in his first episode meanwhile sarah's had to change like into three different outfits she (laughs) they basically gave her a different outfit for every single episode she's a girl yeah Yeah, exactly totally yeah Reminds me when Karl Stefanovic wore the same suit for a year. And no one noticed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like sometimes with men's clothes, there isn't as much variety as yeah. like maybe with women's clothes, which is, you know, a bit of kind of a shame. I think it is. If I can wear pants, why can't men wear dresses and skirts? I don't see why not, but anyway. Yeah, I love wearing skirts. One of my favourite professional wrestlers, Rowdy Roddy Piper, always in a skirt, you know. There you go. <laughs> yeah, should be fine. We should, you know. And, and uh, you know, uh, high heels were orig- originally made for men. Yes, yeah, totally. <laughs> they were yeah, too. Fully. Yeah. The Doctor, Harry, and Sarah Jane transmit beam down to the surface of the planet Earth after saving Space Station Nerva from the Wirren in D4WH episodes 30 and 31, The Ark in Space. Oh, yes. I was really – how was it for you? Because we'd seen the, the previous one. Do you think it helped? For this one? So, yeah, I, I had forgotten, like, but I knew, so this is the last episode that 
we haven't watched for series 12. Uh, we've watched all the others because uh, the others are all considered classics, basically. Sure. And then this one was kind of, you know, filler in between a couple of episodes. So, um, I remembered that, you know, there was this whole transmat beam thing and, mm. and that sort of thing, but I didn't, it wasn't like, I, I don't know, Ben, did, did you understand what was, was going on? Yeah, I think so. I feel as though, like, because it, it opens with the Doctor kind of like in a sort of a formation of globes. Yeah like in that sort of field. Mm. And yeah, I guess, you know, I was thinking it made me think of like Stonehenge and, you know, those kinds of things that are like potentially like mystical, like, trend, you know, um, transport points, you know, like places where you I could- originally thought that it, it maybe it was just a formation of like round stones or ancient something. And then the doctor opens one up and I was like, oh, okay, so they're probably props then, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. It felt really like, I don't know, I got the feeling that it was like a, yeah, some sci-fi landing point or something like that that he was fixing up. Yeah, especially with Harry popping in, popping out, popping in, popping out. <laughs> yeah, totally. That really gave it away. So. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what, I, what I forgot is at the end, I assumed that, because the next episode, because what happens, Ben, is is in the previous episode, they're on a space station and they beam down to Earth to check out the, the transmat beam. And then at the end of the episode, they supposedly beam back. But in my head, I had thought that it had stuffed up and sent them to the past. Right. But what actually happens is the Time Lords jump in and grab the Doctor and then take him to a different planet, so. Wow. They take him to Scaro to stop the um, genesis of the Daleks. Ooh. Yeah, so in, in my head I was like, how come when it's supposed to be broken it takes the Doctor down to Earth, but when he fixes it it takes him to a different mm. planet? Mm. But then I looked it up mm. and I and I remembered, oh, no, okay, the Time Lords jump in and take him and that's why, mm. basically. Mm. So. Damn. Yeah, it ties into the previous and the next episode in a way that these episodes don't always do. True. Yeah, I assumed that all Doctor Who was like all standalone, like the X-Files or something like that. Usually, yeah. Yeah, usually it is, but the the three, four, four of them all kind of link up, don't they? Yeah, true. Well, I mean, I guess even the X-Files had its kind of long, like, storylines that connected it and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Interesting, interesting. So, the... The transmat beam is, like, broken. Yeah. And they've ended up on Earth. But it's, like, Earth in the distant future, isn't it? Like, when it's yeah. kind of revegetated after, like, apocalypse kind of vibe. Yeah, I think that the sunburst. Like, I love when he's like, oh, go over there. Trafalgar Square's just that way. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. So, so, basically, in the previous episode, we found out that the space station was supposed to ride out. There were solar flares that basically cooked earth and they were supposed to wake up after 5,000 years but because these aliens had taken over infected their ship they didn't wake up for 10,000 years right and that's why the army guys were so pissed off yeah because like they were like we've built a whole thing and you've just been asleep nervins that's those damn south africans (laughs) yeah damn it I loved when um, the doctor like escaped from their grasp for a little while, and then when he's climbing up and he's trying to find Sarah again and stuff. And, but it's them up the top, and he's like, <laughs> "What?" He, he said something like, "Oh, you again? Well, I can't say I'm delighted. No use, <laughs> like, no use pretending." Like, <laughs> I was like, "That's a." Charming way to say you don't want to see someone. Well, they've just they've just been capturing him, haven't they? Oh, fully. They were total dicks. Like they did not have to be so rude to him. Like he was, you know, being quite polite. It's so it's always so frustrating that they just all jump to the conclusion 
that. I mean, if yeah. he did kill the guy, why would he then climb down to have a look at him? I just don't get that. <laughs> yeah, that's great, yeah. Totally. Mm. The doctor tells them they're in Piccadilly, but Sarah Jane can't believe it, probably because they're actually in Dartmoor National Park in Devon. <laughs> <laughs> You've given it <laughs> You're away. wrong, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt the middle of London would suddenly become that hilly after thousands of years. <laughs> <laughs> Standing in the middle of lush vegetation, Harry says that there's not much in the way of life. Yeah, well, well, I didn't get animals. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not like they're on a barren, they're in a quarry. No, fully, or like on a desert. Plants don't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not to Harry. No, totally. Just like dig it up and put a housing development there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, then Harry will think that it's civilised. Yeah, yes. totally. Unless it's got a corner store, I just don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Unless a corner store has happened naturally yeah. in this area. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. It's not civilised. Does anyone have any ideas on what Harry means when he says the earth is nice and tidy, no lolly sticks. No. I feel like I assumed that it was because now they had like, you know, time had gone so far past that there was no more like littering and stuff because there were no humans. Oh, sure. So maybe in the 70s there were a lot of lolly sticks. Yeah, I think like heaps of just rappers. Initially, I thought he meant lolly sticks as in like lollipop ladies. Oh, oh no, no, no! I thought littering because like the seventies in England wasn't that around when like they they had those great like the garbage strikes and stuff where like mm. the um, oh. you know the all the garbage met people went on strike and so litter like rubbish was just piling up in the streets and stuff. And it was con. Considered sexy for girls to have lollipops. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was considered sexy for women to litter in the. In, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. no, just walk around with a lollipop. I guess I could see how that's sexy. Yeah. But also, sort of infantilizing <laughs> in the like, yeah, yeah. so it's like, oh, how much sexy? <laughs> if, if they have a lot of them and they put on a lot of weight, not sexy anymore. So there you go. <laughs> oh, that's what happened to me? Yeah, I stopped being sexy because I ate too many lollies. Yeah. Right. You started out with a good intention. Of like a, a lollipop being sexy, but then you were just like, mm, I just love these lollipops. No. I just love these lollipops. Eh? Mm, oh, I, I just remember that uh, my uncle, all of his, a lot of his record album covers had girls with lollipops in the seventies. So yeah, I think totally. I think maybe it was a thing. Yeah, need more lollipops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not eh, sexy eh. enough. Give her a lollipop. Yeah, totally. It's a guy with a pipe saying that. Give her a lollipop. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give her a lollipop. Anyway. I'm going to go be over here balding and fat. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Now I just, at like photo shoots, get like forced to smoke pipes. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I was going to say, it's like when you see those old uh, James Bond movies and Sean Connery, you know, was considered super hot back in the day, but compared to like what's considered super hot these days, he's like just a little pudgy. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and he's like hairy all over. Sean Sean Connery was, yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I'm in two minds about anything being like, cool in one way anymore because I feel like hairiness is actually becoming cool in some strand of narrative but also non-hair is like quite a dominant (laughs) coolness as well. It's a weird thing. The 70s, you know, all men had like a rug on their their chest and they undid the first three or four buttons of their shirt and had a cravat 
and you totally. go and you'd go ooh, and then after while well, you go, <laughs> yeah. Is that why there's so many rug sales these days? Yeah, they yeah. have shaved off their. their they're trying to get um, rid of them. They're trying to get rid of the yeah. rugs. Yeah, Nikia, you don't know this about me, but I just had like for the past two and a bit years grew this like massive beard. Really? Yeah, and then for like the theater that Adam and I do stuff with Big Fork. They're like fundraising to try and get this theater going. And yeah. um, so I offered to shave my beard for the fundraiser and someone bought it and I've shaved it off, but I've wow. still got the beard now oh, because really? the person who bought it <laughs> is anonymous. So I'm just saving it in a plastic bag for them. <laughs> so it could be like a rug <laughs> kind of thing. Like I could sew it into it a could. rug. It could. Somebody could glue it on their chest and suddenly yeah. they're Dennis Lilly. Woohoo. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Do you have any idea who bought your your beard? No idea. No idea. Yeah. I I've all through this sort of big fork group on Facebook, I've been like, Whomst, Whomst has done it. <laughs> but um yeah, no one yeah, no one's no owned one's up to it yet. So I've just it got yet. the bag. I've got the bag. Uh, if you're listening bag. and you're out there, you want that beard. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh you, you might uh you might be donating it to uh to D four WH. Yeah, true. Whoa, that would be psycho. So how how does it feel without it after having a, the beard? Uh, it's been a few days, so it's a bit spiky. Oh, okay. I think I'll just grow beards in themes. Like that was a breakup beard that I just kind of like raised, but now I feel like this is like a, a new hope beard. New hope beard. <laughs> Not like Star Wars new hope. Yeah, no, just like a new life, new, yeah, it's like fresh. I like that. It's spring beard. You could join the beard competitions where they shape their beards into different uh, different uh, objects and stuff. Yeah, that would be beautiful. They're quite cool. Cool. Do you think the Suntarans could grow beards? No. 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 They're military. Although in that documentary that we saw, I'm pretty sure one of the later Suntarans has like a bit of a, a bit of a beard. Yeah, like sort of a drawn on kind of facial hair kind of thing. There's this weird thing because like with the, the large mouth that this Suntaran has is quite creepy. Mm. But mm. then they show a later Suntaran where he just has a normal human mouth. And I think that is way creepier. Yeah. They're an interesting monster because Sarah's first adventure, she was with the Sontaran, with the Doctor. Right. And that was that was Lynx. Uh, and he looked different to this one. He had like bits of, uh, I don't know, things sticking out of his head, bits of hair, True. like a bad wart. <laughs> and was that, was that the Australian guy? Yes. Yeah. This is the same Australian guy, same guy. Oh. Oh, but in the one in the episode that we watched, according to that documentary, by the time that this one was being filmed, that Australian guy, I think his name was like Ken Dunkley or Kevin Lindsay. Yeah, Kevin Lindsay. He um, he. It said he was having a bad heart, so they had like a sta- a body double do like the fight scenes and stuff like that because ah. it was quite a heavy suit. It was saying like it sounded real intense. But it was Kevin Lindsay who initiated the like using of the tongue oh, <laughs> like, through the. It's great, isn't so it? So creepy. He's talking to Sarah and he's sticking his tongue out, and I was like, uh, yeah. "Oh God, what is he doing?" Yeah. So when you go back and like, I watched the documentary and then I sort of flicked back through the episode, and like, you can tell because Kevin Lindsay really generously uses his tongue, but like the other guy, he wasn't so tonguey, and I feel like you could tell who was when. 
which guy was which. <laughs> I, I just I love the the tongue, but I, I this guy's good, but it's uh, the prosthetics not as scary, I think, as the first one. No, it was a bit more humanizing, I thought. Mm. Yeah. And and talk, talking about the fact that the previous Sontaran and this Sontaran look nothing alike, or as Sarah says, they look identical. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Because they had to redo the mask. They basically were like, oh, we'll we'll do the Sontarans because we've already got a mask, and then they went and redid the mask anyway. And it's like a completely different color to the previous one. The, the last one is like way darker than this one. Well, look, give give Sarah a break because it was another doctor she was with. That's an ages ago, sure. you know. True. Yeah, they're they're squat little with broad shoulders. They're all the same. Yeah, I feel like Sarah was more making just a general sort of comment on how they were all sort of disgusting. And I loved how that guy was just like, I don't give a shit what you think of me, like, or how I look. Like, I'm here to do one job. And, like, the fact that I've seen a female of your species, like, okay, whatever. I know. They're they're always fascinated by women because they have no women in their their species. Like, ooh, the female of the species. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to I'm here to experiment on humans and not give a fuck and I've almost finished all my experiments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, he did not care. He was just like your percep- your idea of how I look means nothing to me. And I was like, man, I could really relate to that. Like, like I need to learn that sort of self-confidence that that Suntaran had. Like, <laughs> Yeah, if we if we all get one thing from the Suntarans, it should be, you know, believe in yourself and not, you know, start na- international wars. Yeah. What I'm always interested with the Suntarans is that they always talk about their ongoing war with the Rutans. Always, yeah. but you never, ever, ever meet the Rutans in the TV series. Yeah, you do. Not, not in the TV series. Horror of Fang Rock apparently is a Ruton. Oh, really? A one-off. That was that's what's um. T- Terence Dix said in in uh, the Horror of Fang Rock, he put in a uh, a Ruton. One Ruton. Yeah. Okay. All right. One Ruton too many. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It was in that documentary we watched. Ah, oh, there you go. Because I was thinking I've never seen a, like a fleet of them anywhere, but there you go. No, it was like a blobby glowing thing. Oh, yeah. good No wonder they're fighting them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're shapeshifters. I hate glowy things. Yeah, blobby glowing things. <laughs> blobby glowing. Oh, we have to deal with them all the time, don't we? Good. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the humans who uh, was watching the Doctor, Zake, is played by Terry Walsh, who was a fight arranger and stuntman for Doctor Who, who appeared in many episodes during the 60s and 70s, usually as a background character or stunt double. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, so that's that's quite nice. Well, they had they had little budget, so. It was a cool fight scene. I liked that. The way that they, like, would film from afar because the Doctor had broken his collarbone during oh, the yes, shoot. Yeah. Yes. Big, um, clothesline. And then, um, yeah, the, the way that they film from afar, but then would do those s- close-in shots of the Doctor's face being like, ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> and then they would go back wide again. I love that sort of approach to filmmaking. I love his big googie eyes and his big teeth. It's just something, yeah. something amazing about that. It made me feel seeing the seeing this Doctor in that kind of role made me feel really good because since I going back to the beard thing, since I shaved it, I've been like. Do I have a chin? Like, what? <laughs> what is my like? You know, 
And I was sort of thinking about calling my mom and bit like whinging to her that her side of the family had robbed me of a chin and, you know, all of this kind of stuff because my uncles have that same sort of vibe. Mm. But then, yeah, seeing the doctor and he's sort of, his chin was a bit down and his nose was a bit kind of like a bit fugly and stuff and his teeth were a bit off. And I was like, yeah, yeah. if I go back to the 70s, maybe I could get a role on <laughs> Doctor Who. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Before and after chin, yeah. There, there's yeah, there's yeah. something as we as odd as he looks. There's something I don't know lovely about it. I think. Yeah, so lovely, Very so Doctor charming. Mm. I mean, like watching that little documentary about the Sontarans and seeing who the Doctor was before him. Who he looked like freaking Liberace or something like that with his like little quiff. Yeah, and I was like, I don't relate to you, man. But this doctor, this Tom Baker doctor, I was like, you've got that long scarf. It's going in the mud. I really relate to this. Like, like, <laughs> like I'm into this 70s hip cat Doctor Who. <laughs> John Pertwee before him was a dandy. Yeah. Space dandy. He was a space dandy. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very curious about, like, seeing more of those his episodes and stuff because I'm imagining sort of, like, Kind of a drunken older version of William Shatner in Star Trek <laughs> kind of thing, like but like with more quiff. Hey, cool cats and kittens, you want to get down with the doctor? <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh dear, oh, Tom dear. Baker seems a bit more grounded. Yeah, I've never seen a third Doctor episode, but I do know that he had Bessie, a like open top, bright yellow Hoomobile car. Wow, who won? She was an a, an a- antique. Well, he didn't have a TARDIS for for the first few bits of his. First few seasons or first season. I, it kind of gave off. I don't know if you ever watched any of those. Like, is it Benny Hill? Like, yeah. the, um, yeah. those old kind of vibe. Yeah. That's when I saw him. I was like, man, that era of Britain, yeah. British TV <laughs> kind of thing. If it had been Benny Hill, it would have been like a woman in a bra. And then you would have had a picture <laughs> of Tom Baker, like with his toothy grin, being like, <laughs> yeah, chasing totally. around with the sonic screwdriver. That makes a skirt, yeah, skirt da, 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 go da, da, up da, da, and down. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, totally. Good old British misogyny. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I think everyone was a misogynist in the 70s, I think. so. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Even the women, yep. yep. Even yep, the women. Yep, we were too. Yeah, we were totally. too. <laughs> one of the other guys, the other humans, um, the one that Eric goes to tell about the doctor who's at camp, he it was played by Glyn Jones. He's a Welshman who wrote the 1965 serial The Space museum for the first doctor oh really wait so who was this guy who which was he he was one of the first three people so we see the two guys in the field and then one of them goes runs back to camp and the guy that he talks to that's the that's the guy who wrote the first ah the baddie the trader no no not the trader this is this is the guy who's like all right yeah yeah oh you know um varel's gone to get grub yeah grub yeah right i i liked the acting when they've got the gravity bar because yeah totally even when the the, the focus is on the fight between the Doctor and the Sontaran, they're still oh, oh, pretending. Fully. Oh, man. Do you even lift bro section? Yeah, yeah. totally. Like, I loved that, you know, that sort of getting around the fact that you have no budget. Mm. So just being like, just make it look heavy, boys. Make it look yes. heavy. And like, yeah, yeah. and the same with the when um, Sarah's getting tortured by her fears and it's just like a thing that they've jammed <laughs> onto her forehead. And then they just sort of <laughs> creepily film like curves in the rocks and like, yeah. you know, oh, and that weird sort of like pro- 
proto tentacle porn oh, kind of bit where God. like yeah. the the sludge is coming up her leg and stuff. Honestly, that was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen on Doctor Who, and I'm glad it's not on the screen for very long because <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I tell you what, she did well because you're just sitting there having to pretend all this crap. I know. <laughs> yeah. But the fake snake that they have, I think that looked pretty good. For yeah. Her. I thought it was totally. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I think the ro- the robot was pretty shit. I reckon I could outrun that robot yeah. personally. <laughs> so many life lessons in this episode. Like, you know, don't let your fears, like, you know, be your enemy kind of thing, yeah. you know, like just know that they're scary, but like you can, if you just kind of breathe or whatever, you know, you'll get through it. If people think you're ugly, yeah. tell them you don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> Damn, God. Thanks, Doctor. Zake was the one who was played by Terry Walsh, the uh, the stunt coordinator, and he's the one who was hunted down by the crap-looking robot that looks like it be- could be knocked over very easily. Yeah, and and what were the whiskers? What what's it looking for? Smell? Yeah, I don't know. It was it was like a weird like praying mantis, like prawn sort of thing. Yeah, and I never understood was that robot connected with they were that robot was catching the people and bringing them to the Sontaran. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if there were, like, two different... He was working with the robot. Yeah. Although I don't know how he fit in that spaceship because it, it looked like a one-person-only spaceship. Oh, he, he obviously brought the parts with him. <laughs> it was a flat-pack robot, yeah. It was a flat-pack and he put it together. But the trouble is the robot comes and everybody stops to get caught. Mm. Why wouldn't you just keep going? I just don't get this. <laughs> yeah. Well, except for Zake, who runs away to the safest place he can find, the edge of a cliff. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he goes, oh, I might try and fall down this cliff. And like Harry in the previous scene, he's like, takes one step and goes, oh, well, I'll just fall now. Ah! <laughs> yeah. And Zake, he was the one who the Sontaran called a moron before he killed him. He, oh, like after he killed him, he was just like, the moron means nothing to me. No, Zake, Zake was the one that um, the doctor finds, and then those two guys find him, and they're like, you've killed Zake! Right, of yeah. course. Yeah, totally. Roth was the one you're thinking of. Roth was the one where he's like, the dickhead was no means to me. <laughs> yeah, now totally. that I have myself a woman, <laughs> yeah. I got a girly. <laughs> I got a little woman. Man, yeah, I felt so bad for Roth. Like, he was so, he'd been so traumatized, and then he was just like running away yeah he managed to get away and then yeah he's like i can't let you have me again like he couldn't even be in that time especially in those times like the man you know should have been the one who like rescued the woman but he just was so broken that he just ran away and just left her with the sundaran like yeah he he couldn't couldn't deal with it but you think about Think about him talking about the female of the species and if you go to the new series with Strax, who's always calling Clara a boy. So they have no – I love that they have – they've taken Strax and made – a, a comic character that's got no concept of male, female, yeah, you know, totally. that sort of stuff. It works really well. Because Steyer says the female has no military application and I kind of chalk that up to the fact that that's because the uh, Sontarans are an all-male species and not because of the fact that this episode was written in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course we have no ma- no military application. <laughs> yeah. Sarah would be great to have in the military, like as far as just kind of, yeah. you know, even just kind of boosting spirits and she was really wily and resourceful. Yep. She knew like to save that that important screwdriver. Like, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the sonic screwdriver, yeah. She's very smart at, at coming up with plans when, when nobody else has any plans. She was originally designed as the first woman's libba in Doctor Who. So she, she she's about as uh, far feminist feminazi that they got in the 70s or that they allowed on telly, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, like where she is actually quite strong like and quite independent and stuff and not like reliant on the doctor necessarily and stuff. Like she obviously appreciates his intelligence and his, you know, his know-how and stuff, but she is definitely her own person. And and thankfully the show has has completely uh, evolved and uh, the fans no longer have any f- problems with women whatsoever. Oh. <laughs> with the new Doctor being a woman, there's been a big hate campaign. I did. You know? I remember hearing about that when it was she was first being cast. And they were like, a woman Doctor Who? I know. <laughs> it's terrible. Which, pre- which quickly progressed into being like, I don't have a problem with the woman being the doctor it's the person who's writing the episodes they're really bad right which also means that i don't like the woman a doctor as well so that but it's okay (laughs) for me to like the woman doctor because it's a man that i don't like yeah Yeah. yes anyway they'll all be very happy that she's is she finishing up yes she is she is finishing up yeah it's very sad is the whole how is Doctor Who going to keep running though? Like yes, yeah, definitely. Wow, always that's what it does. Man, it's kind of like a like a more like James Bond is kind of like yeah, I do a movie every couple of years, like meh. But Doctor Who's like every week, bro, every week. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I, I mean the amount of episodes. I mean back when that that's the that's one of my problems with the classic series is back when this was on, it was it was sort of like a a soap in that it was on pretty much every. Every single week for at least three quarters of the year. Yeah. yeah. So they were like churning out episodes like weekly, basically, which is oh, crazy. Yeah. Whereas these days, you know, we're lucky if we have it. Like the next series is going to be six episodes. Mm. But it's going to be one continuous story, which I'm really interested in. But when it when it came back in 2005, it was cut down to 13 episodes, and and that's been whittled all the way down until you know. So the BBC wants the show to keep going, but they want to get their money's worth basically. Sure. Interesting. So how long did they go did it go off the air for? Like if you said it came back in 2005? I'm sorry if you're just asking kind of I, I can just google this stuff. No, no, it's all right. About 16 years. Yeah, yeah 86 I believe it went no, off. It was 80, 89 80, I think. 89. Was the last one. Yeah. But they did ha- they did have a TV movie in okay. the 90s. Just to keep the flame alive. Oh, no. Well, they were trying to reboot the right. series. It's awful. It, didn't, go well. it didn't work, oh. so yeah. They, I waited another nine years until... That seems right. Series. I think I'm always interested in the way that sort of interest in things kind of, re, you know, is cyclical and, you know, you can go through big times and then just sort of be like, oh, we're not into that anymore and then it comes back up again. But I think that's a, that's one of the good things about Doctor Who is the fact that because they can change the main actor and obviously change who runs the show behind the scenes, it can reinvent itself every few years. So when, you know, when the new sh- the current showrunner came along and decided, okay, we're going to change things up because the first episode of Doctor Who was almost 60 years ago, but you forget 
forget that the current season has actually been on TV since 2005, and that's 16 years ago. Yeah, which is still a big run. Even that is, like, way longer than any other TV show that's on, you know, on most TV shows on TV go for, like, four or five seasons or whatever. So Yeah, like, because imagine if, you know, say, it makes me think of, like, Peep Show, you know, and how it, it ran for, like, what, eight or nine seasons or something like that, maybe seven, you know. But, like, imagine if they had just, like, recast it. <laughs> like re- and just sort of kept it running. But I mean, that's that's an amazing thing about Doctor Who. I would love to be the person who came up with the idea that I can just keep changing the main character, the actor, and give it some new life. He's kind of the same, but a little different every time. What an idea! The basic, like, general character traits of the of the character are like you know pretty well set. But you know, the actual person playing it, yeah, totally evolves. Yeah, definitely. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, that's that. I love that. Imagine, imagine if Harry. Harold from Neighbours was like, don't worry, love, the moment's been prepared for. And then he, like, regenerates into someone else and he's like, I'm fucking Harry again. <laughs> yeah, totally. Man, If as an actor, if I could play a re- like a regenerated version of Harold, like I would, <laughs> oh, like God. I would do that ten years, twenty years run, and then I would oh quit. Oh my God, like, that's amazing! Oh my oh, gosh, you- love him so much. Ooh. It just doesn't work. The only people who do that are American soap operas. Yeah, totally. Like Bo- Bold and the Beautiful and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And the guy, com- <laughs> the guy comes back and he's two foot shorter. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. I'm the evil twin. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it's it's interesting to know in this episode that the Sontarans have five fingers in this episode, even though Sontarans in all other episodes that we've seen only have three fingers. Yes. Wait, no. The first sighting of the Sontaran in that episode, he's got three fingers. No, he's got, four, he's got five fingers. No, like when he's inside of that, because he like doc- the doctor looks in that camera on his lapel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's like, it doesn't look like it's made by a human. And then it zooms out. And I swear he had three fingers. Well, initially, I thought he had four fingers, but later on when you see him, he, he's definitely got five fingers. Oh, I'm sure like late, yeah, but I swear in that first one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hate to pull rank on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fight, 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 fight. No. Oh, I, don't, I really don't care. <laughs> it was me, goddammit. Maybe in our atmosphere he just kept growing fingers. True. Yeah, yeah. maybe. That makes if they, sense. If he had stayed alive, he would have had like 20 fingers on each hand. But what I want to know is why do they want to take over Earth if they the gravity they're not used to and they get quite tired just after having a bit of a – a stick fight. No, because I, I initially, because I don't think they're invading Earth. I think they're invading the Earth colonies, the human colonies, ah. and they're using Earth to experiment on humans. So they've lured, basically they've lured that spaceship of humans there so they can experiment on them. Yeah, because that confused me as well. I didn't understand why they wanted to invade Earth. They don't. I don't think they want to invade Earth. They want to invade the Galsec colonies that they keep talking about. Ah, but however, they could be on planets that have got different atmospheres and yeah. gravities and therefore we may be able to fly on other planets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, the one thing we found out is that apparently they get tired really easily in Earth's atmosphere. Atmosphere. So, yeah. well, great that you have all these experiments because you won't be able to fight for very long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. You've got to know what's going to make him tick and like be that breaking yeah. point, like psychologically. Yeah, I don't see at any point him going back being like, um, look, side effect, it's not an experiment I did, but I get tired real quickly <laughs> on this atmosphere. So maybe we should want to do something about that. Also, uh, humans, humans drown when you submerge them in the <laughs> 
Sontaran would drown. Yeah. I was trying to understand, like, so the Sontaran that was on the Earth, Star. Star, yeah. Star. He was talking to a guy on his, like, phone Yes. Like another Suntaran who was like super eager to like come in and just like totally destroy the earth. The Marshall, and it's yeah. like, just do it, man. Like if you if you if you're that keen, like why I didn't understand really what why that guy was so hesitant. Like he was waiting on this report. And I guess it's all bureaucracy. It's the same at like, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the Marshall has probably been planning this uh, invasion of um human colonies for months, if not years. Meanwhile, Steyer goes, Look, it'll take an extra hour, and he's like, Incompetent, why is it taking so long? It's like, just calm down, man. I was imagining the marshal like on the edge of the um you know of the galaxy just being like with all of his army behind him just being like come on just tell us we can come in there and it was like why don't you just go in there bro yeah (laughs) just if you want to if you want to take it take it what sty is doing isn't this like an early stage of research yeah wouldn't you have your battle plans around that Not, not sitting there ready to go wouldn't you use the data to come up with ways to attack after you have the data? Yeah. Also, I love later on when they have the gravity bar going on and, like, Steyer is literally finishing his last experiment, but he is delayed because he has to go back and get chewed out by the marshal who goes, you're taking too long. <laughs> and it's like, well, maybe if you stop friggin' calling me, I can finish my damn experiments. Exactly. Yeah, it's such an argument for, like, not having middle management in things. Like- yeah. <laughs> yeah, if it was me i'd turn the little telephone off just pretend oh no sorry i can't get reception field marshal totally (laughs) yeah yeah. well it's a it's a good thing he communicates with the marshal with that giant like yellow submarine uh, tv (laughs) which he's conveniently keeps away from his main main spaceship yeah and also that came in a flat pack as well i'd say yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. must have yeah Yeah. there's no room on that for the uh no no i kept waiting for harry with the stick to hit him on the back of the neck at the feeding tube. I kept thinking that's how he killed him, Ah. but it wasn't. He got sort of deflated, hey, like. Yeah. 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 He he went to regenerate, but they'd taken part of the machine out, and so it sucked energy out of him, I suppose. Oh, is that what I, yeah, I just was like, oh, he just, his head just deflates for some reason. Yeah. And his ship explodes. Totally. I just, I was trying to piece together what actually happened because I remember the Sontaran being like, wait, I just have to get something from inside. And he like goes (laughs) inside and then he comes out and it's on fire and he's like screaming. They have to regenerate their energy on this. uh, And they have to in in the other one, I remember as well. Because they can't handle the atmosphere. Yeah. or the the gravity or whatever it is. There's a weird moment where the doctor goes, you're tiring, and he goes, no, I'm not. I just have to go and do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you have to go and re-energise yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not tired. Just give me a second. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just have to write a letter. I won't be long. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just have to make sure my DVD is recording. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't want to miss the next episode of something. <laughs> There's a great moment where Sarah's tied up and uh, they go, oh, you're behind a force field. And we have that wonderful miming of like, oh. at one point, Harry like literally falls into where the force field's supposed to be. And they play the sound again as if like, oh, fuck, we better start. He's fell into the force field. <laughs> 
I did think about that. I, I wanted him to do the mime in a box thing, but True. he didn't yes. do it. Yes. We'll also get that budget low. <laughs> How do you know? I mean, do they have a line there? I think that would be hard, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't know. They they sort of made it seem like it was a it was a bubble sort of yeah. uh, bouncy one. Yeah, I think they just went. Oh yeah, it's there. Just it's there. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Because it seems like they just film a scene and they're like, "All right, let's move on to the next one." Like they don't go back. They don't do double takes. No. They don't film it again. Yeah, yeah, totally. and also you know the gravity bar yeah. that would have had to come in a flat pack as well because. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of things he brought in a flat pack, Fully. I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they were considering that uh, all of the stuff that uh, Steyer has had to fit in his, like, tiny one-person uh, a, a, a par- apartment dome, yeah. He spent his first six months putting a robot and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where'd he get all his stuff from? Everything together. It was hard out. Like, he did a lot of, like, sort of infrastructural kind of groundwork, like, when he set up in that scene. And, and was the feeling... Field Marshal still poised when he got there. I mean, have they? Yeah. Maybe he's shitty because they've been there six months waiting for him to put the flat packs together, start the experiments, Holy. you know, just wasting fuel. The funny thing is, the Marshal is also played by Kevin Lindsay. So essentially, he's just having a conversation with himself. Yeah, we've all been there. But that's what I reckon. Like, after watching that documentary, I started thinking that, like, he, because he was like on the verge of having a stroke or something, that, that Kevin Lindsay guy. And so they got that dude to be the other one and that's why i think the main star one for the most part because of his not use of the tongue very often mm. made me think that it was the marshal because it was the marshal who was definitely all about the tongue like uh. the marshal was always like <laughs> apparently uh kevin anytime that we you, you can hear the sontarans talk is kevin Lindsay, and then when it was came to like moving around that was that was the that guy was, uh, yeah uh. That, that makes sense Stuff. Yeah, because like the they that in that suit without much visibility and stuff like that to be doing that sort of those kind of fight scenes on like those big rocks and stuff like full on man like that's hard out. I think it it's a it's a tough job when you're one of the creature people yeah. and you have to wear all that stuff and. Uh. It would drive me nuts. Oh, totally. That fight between the Doctor and the Sontaran reminded me of that classic Star Trek episode where he's, like, fighting the giant green lizard monster. Yeah. (laughs) Where the music's like, dun, 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 Yeah. Yeah, totally. I do see that the Sontarans did not learn fencing because he's got no (laughs) skill at all. He just Hack, hack. He did a flip. He he flipped the doctor at one point and he did yeah, a big clothes did, line. Yeah. The style has that giant machete that I, 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 it feels like all um, space explorers from this era were like, well, I've got to take a machete with it. I might come <laughs> yeah, across, totally. you know. Jungle. Yeah. Yeah. I've got all my future weapons, but I better take this giant machete. Yeah, fully. What about the guns that the uh, South African soldiers had? They looked like kid guns. Yeah, totally. They were terrible. But you know that they're future weapons because they light up. Yeah, they light up and they make those cool sounds that um, Delia Derbyshire or someone in the (laughs) team (laughs) made. (laughs) And do you really want your gun to light up before you, when you fire? I don't know. Does. 
give people a bit of a heads up. Totally. It's like for if if you were like deaf and potentially getting shot at, it, it, it would be the anti-silencer. Like it would be yeah. the, like you, you would know. <laughs> like, it's like it's like in movies where they have the, the little red dot to show where the, mm, the sniper rifle is going to be. Actually, surprisingly, actual sniper rifles don't tell you when you're about to get shot. Yeah. You just get shot. Yeah. There's no red little red laser that's on a, a on actual sniper rifles. That's right, right up there with the I'm going to tell you my plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Or it's right up, right up there with um someone calling someone else and being like, "Hello, my brother, who I've who I've known my entire life. Yeah. Yes, my sister, <laughs> who <laughs> says their relationship in every single time they talk to a person. Totally. Yes, yes. I love it when they tell and don't show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> After the doctor has defeated Steyer in in single combat. Uh, the Doctor warns the Marshal that his invasion cannot continue, telling him that it's his Waterloo, a reference that the Marshal 100% doesn't understand. <laughs> no. Uh, sorry, what's a Waterloo? I'm a Sontar and I have no idea what you're talking about. Is that a human toilet? Yes. <laughs> I'd, I'd actually bet that there'd be a lot of people nowadays who wouldn't know what the Waterloo was. Yeah, yeah totally. In many ways, we're all Stires. <laughs> and it's all, it's, it's all of our Waterloos. Yeah, Waterloo? totally. <laughs> yeah, fully. He's probably sitting up there thinking, oh, well, here I have six months wasting fuel, cooling my heels, <laughs> and now some guy tells me to go and I go, oh, all right, off I yeah, go. Yeah, totally. He just, <laughs> man, he did not want it hard enough, that Marshall. No, like, he, d- he didn't. <laughs> he was like, well, I'll get you next time bureaucratically. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's exactly what I thought he was going to say as well. I'll get you next time. Uh, gadget next time. He had to go home and, and fill out a couple of A732s and an A496. Because <laughs> that was basically it. Hey, there was something that he, the doctor convinced the marshal that there was one other thing that he wasn't thinking about before he, you know, came. I think he said to the doctor, like, because I've defeated Steyer, I could defeat you know, we could defeat the rest of you and therefore, you know, if you try and attack, we'll defeat you. Yeah. Even though we drown in water and we die of thirst and we're not very strong. There's heaps of stuff you could do to me that... <laughs> but I don't know if Staya <laughs> transmitted all of that data. Maybe he kept all the data and was going to transmit it all at once. And then the... Do- and then the do- and then- so basically, uh, the marshal is just pissed off that somebody else has to do those experiments all over again. Fully. Oh, yeah. great. And you know, that's typical, yeah. isn't it? It's always somebody who keeps information to themselves, trying to big note themselves. And then they die or get fired. Yeah, and then they die. (laughs) Usually in a workplace they die. Think about the organisation, Styr. Think about the (laughs) organisation. I'm pretty sure the Sontarians can't survive underwater either, so. Yeah. No, I don't think so either. They don't seem like good swimmers. It it could reach out, Styr. We're one team, mate. We're one team. Look, we need to, Marshall, we need to synergise with everyone to create a... Yeah, totally. Don't you not to send him Steyer by himself. He's such a glory hog. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I loved, like, looking at all the different Sontarans and how they have that kind of – they give off that vibe of, like, those – in the movies of those like 1950s American war generals kind of thing, like oh, with their they like do. big necks and big heads, and they're just like, whoa, whoa, like, 
I loved how it, much of a sort of a satire kind of comment on that. Maybe that's who they're modelled off. Well, yeah. It, I mean, in the documentary, they were talking about how um, because it was the 70s, they got a lot of, you know, SAS guys from like the World War, uh, World mm. War II, II to, to play these guys. And so they all all knew the, you know, how to do the, the military walk and everything. You know, in, in, in that documentary, they do say that this episode, the experiments are basically based on the experiments that they read about being done in the concentration camps so yeah totally and like even naming style was like a they were kind of like going for a sort of gestapo-y kind of fascist sort of vibe kind of thing you know because um doctor who is has never been political No, no, never. Is this another joke that I do? Yeah. (laughs) And that's why in the next episode, Genesis of the Daleks, the uh, people who build the Daleks look exactly like Nazis. Yeah, well, the Daleks are based on Nazis, so. They are, so there you go. But not political, never been political. Never been political, no, of course not. Until recently, (laughs) until recently. Really? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and that's probably just a holdover from being in the 70s. I mean, it was only like 25 30 years since yeah. the end totally. of the World War II, you know. And honestly, I feel like everything is political. Like, you know, any way that you respond to anything or, like, you know, you kind of create something, it's all coming from your kind of philosophy or your views or something yep. like that and is essentially a comment on that stuff. I think so too, but I think with the new season, they've done an episode about Rosa Parks and they've done- Right. They did an episode about climate change. The I- Indian and Pakistan. Pakistan uh, war, you know, when the English divided the country. True. So, so th- I feel like that's where it starts to get a bit tricky because because you you really risk being didactic, you know, and just people just being like, oh, <laughs> more messages, you know. Yeah. I think of even like South Park, you know, when they went from being like irreverent and kind of commenting on certain things to doing like, uh, you know, seemingly seasons of episodes where every week was another sort of social issue kind of thing. Yeah. And it started to be like, well, I know you have opinions and, <laughs> you know, all of those kinds of things are great, but, you know, I don't know, you could find ways of not being so. I think some of the ones that handled really well and others not as well but I thought I thought they were they were good episodes um I certainly thought Rosa was no I'm super curious about them like about how yeah sure yeah I'm really especially I've been so curious about the that kind of British India relationship you know and historically like the what India was like before the British people came and all of that kind of stuff um Shashi Tharoor like is such a good writer on that stuff they were probably happier <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, there's lots of you know yeah lots of things that sort of went on that were like whoa not a that's not a happy <laughs> way of dealing with things yeah and, and I you know I, I obviously it's a Doctor Who episode but Demons of the Punjab from season Season 11 is is a really good episode about the partitioning of, like we were saying, the partitioning of India and Pakistan when they created Pakistan as a new country for the Muslims of the country, basically. Uh, And it was written by Vinay Patel, who's a, you know, English, English Indian writer. So, yeah. it's really, it's really interesting and one of the best episodes of Series uh, 11 as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so. sweet. Yeah, I really want to check that out. Except for Indian Harry Potter. <laughs> Indian Harry Potter. <laughs> and obviously there's, uh, there's a couple of aliens in it. 
for you know because it's a doctor who episode <laughs> absolutely <laughs> wouldn't be the same without it <laughs> no no of course not uh with everyone safe the doctor harry and sarah jane leave the remaining space crew on earth to wait for the nerva crew the hooby gang transmat off earth hopefully to end up back on nerva with the tardis and not being intercepted by the time lords for a very special episode on scarrow in d4wh episodes 26 and 27 genesis of the daleks is there anything else anyone would like to mention about the sontaran experiment no I, i'm feeling like yeah i really it was seemed like a, it was a pretty good deep dive on the sontarans today <laughs> the sontaran <laughs> experiment I, think so. I really wish that i had a transmat beam i loved the dialogue of this i love this style of writing there were heaps of lines that i was writing down like where they would just be like oh have you have you hurt anything just my integrity <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. like, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were quite sassy, yeah. 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 Yeah, so into it. Loved it so much. It was great. Thank you so much for getting me to watch it. No, thank you. Thank you well, for watching okay. it. I, you know, I was when I did start watching it, I was like, oh, you do need a kind of a bit of knowledge about the previous episode. So I was a bit worried. I can piece things together and yeah, totally. Yeah, I love jumping into it <laughs> as much. <laughs> I've been so curious about Doctor Who, but haven't always really known where to start kind of thing. So being just given an, a task... <laughs> Watch these. <laughs> yeah, and and, yeah. and part of the reason why I started this podcast was to go back and watch the the episodes, and but also um, with Nakia on, who's who's been a fan since um uh, since some of the classic series. That um you know it's good to go back and watch those and and see how the show was before the before I got into it. Yeah, I think I think if you watch the old ones with the the knowledge that the special effects are probably going to be a little crap and what you're looking for is the story and the dialogue, you in, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, and even on the filmmaking side of it, like the the creative workarounds that you have to come up with in I order know. to, you know, get your message across without it being like destroying your suspension of disbelief. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, uh, as we always do, we like to give the episode a score out of five, one being the worst and five being the best. Nakia, would you like to go first. Yeah, um, I'm going to give this a four. I remember enjoying it the first time. I enjoyed this whole sort of series that that interconnected. But it's not – it's one of the things that we often say a four, a four parts could really be a two. I think this is one where they did that. There's not a lot of fluff. I mean, you know, we laugh about the flat packs. Good to see the Sontaran back. Love Sarah. I love Harry. You know, it was good. I, I really enjoyed it and I – Three, I was between a 3.5 and a 4. I've decided a 4 from me. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a 2. <laughs> <laughs> Cold-blooded. <laughs> Other end of the spectrum. Yeah, look, uh, I watched it twice, obviously, because I had to write the synopsis, and I considered watching it a third time. And, look, I've had a lot of fun talking about it with the two of you, but watching it was like, I don't know, it started off great. It started off, like, really zippy of, like, oh, my God, this is going really quickly because there's only two episodes. Um, but then there was a lot of padding and a lot of like for me honestly I reckon 25% of the entire episode was people just being like oh don't worry I'll go and get help and looking for people to go get help because I reckon that phrase was probably said like five different times being like don't worry I'll go get help like oh stop going to get help and just get help (laughs) just do something stop being captured all the time There was one moment where one 
character, I think it might have been when Ross got killed, when he was, no, no, it was when the doctor was running away from the Sontaran. And um, you thought that, I thought it was going to be another time where the doctor got away and was going to spend some time hiding (laughs) or something like that. But he just got shot. (laughs) He just got, they shot him. And I was like, ah, thank God that they just got to the, they didn't do the, (laughs) oh, got to have five minutes of hiding. (laughs) I wanted to mention in that bit, he runs away and he gets shot right. So he's running away from the Sontaran. But then when he's like, don't worry, I had this thing with me. And he pulls it out of the front of his coat. It's like, you were shot from behind, mate. But okay. (laughs) But I do love the way he says, never throw anything away. And then he says, don't let your pockets get too crowded. (laughs) I know. I love that bit. Yeah, totally. Because he's looking for his diary. Yeah. The the thing that got me was he threw the thing away and then goes, never throw anything away. I was like, you literally just threw something away. (laughs) That's what's funny. I know. It was so cheeky. Yeah. So I, I will give it a two out of five. Uh, True. I'm on with Nakia. I'm I'm feeling like it's a four. Just be like, obviously, this was the first kind of like time that I've really gone deep into a Doctor Who sort of seventies episode kind of thing. But yeah, I loved the I loved all of the interactions between the characters. I loved the Santaran. I loved the I even loved the weird robot kind of thing that was so <laughs> just like seemingly impractical for that type of terrain. <laughs> I felt like you could easily just push it over and it. Would- would be fall over yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah i love the death scene of the Sontaran, and yeah and the doctor was just so charming oh, just so charming awesome. yeah. thank you very much for joining us ben that's it's great to have you pleasure thanks so much for having me on now uh ben i have a question for you please so the doctor his time lord name is the doctor because he does no harm and he helps and so forth and so everyone that comes on we ask them what would your time lord name be what is the name that represents who you are or who you aim to be? So True. Adam's the nerd. Interesting. I'm the commander. My family gave me that, by the way. So, yeah. I think I've got one. All right, great. One of my, like, sort of gods um, is a guy called Brian Eno who, you know, he, like, made the Windows startup music, um, <laughs> like, amongst, hey. like... <laughs> I mean, he did he did other stuff as well, you know. Yeah, let's, let's, totally. I, I love that that's the first thing that comes to your mind, but uh, he, did, he did a lot of other stuff as Windows well. Windows startup music, number one. Um, <laughs> but he was, like, the synthesizer player for um, Roxy Music, and he, um, he, like, is the one of the fathers of sort of generative ambient Rocks music and, music and art. So cool. Yeah, such a he's um he's incredible. And also his like three kind of like pop albums before he started going into ambient music were Wow. Mwah, love them. Anyway, he one of what he describes himself as is a synthesis. Um, because he like takes ideas and like things that are happening and stuff and tries to like synthesize them together to make new things. And I think for my Time Lord name, I'm going to adopt that and call myself the Synthesis. Oh, I like Ooh, that. Lovely. You don't want to call yourself the Windows startup music? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I could be like the Windows synthesis startup music, like the, you know, like (laughs) Windows startup music could be my full name. We'll go with the synthesis. My question for you now, uh, Ben, is we go on an adventure, we get in the TARDIS, we turn up at a planet, Mm -hmm. and you've got the nerd and the commander. Mm -hmm. What does the synthesis bring 
to the adventure. I think the synthesis brings sort of like all of the ethical quandaries of like what we're doing <laughs> and is like trying to look at it sort of all metacognitively and being like, <laughs> okay, but why are we here? Where are we going? Um, okay, what are we thinking about next? And what are the implications of that if we act on these things? And then trying to come up with choices <laughs> based on that. Maybe not the most interesting like visually <laughs> the episode. With the synthesis and the nerd on board, we'll never get anything done because we'll just yeah. constantly be talking yeah. about stuff unless the commander comes in and like, all right, I'm going to tell you what to do. Let's go. Totally. Yeah, yeah which is why the commander is so important. <laughs> I'll just come in and go, right, we're doing this. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Which is why my partner Asia is so, is, you know, is one of the ways she just kind of like sluts into in such a great addition to my life. Like, she's just like, no, stop thinking about this and just do this. And I'll be like, oh, thank you so much for saying something because I could have just dwelled on this, like, for the next, like, year. When I when I tell someone I'm thinking about doing something, then I'm like, fuck, now I actually have to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to look flaky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Never want to seem flaky. No. Never. You know, you know what? They, they probably forget you told them. Probably. But it's like, because I'll be in a conversation and I hate small talk, so I'll just start being like, oh, I just had this idea <laughs> that I was, wanted to do. And then I get guilty because I'm like, ah, damn it, I literally just had that idea and I was probably going to move on to something else within a, a couple of weeks, you know? Totally. But now I have to commit the next three years oh. of my life. Like- <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I remember I have like six things that I already should be doing and it's like, okay, well, I'll schedule that in between those, you know? Classic. Okay, Adam, just learn to talk about the weather sure. right? yeah but which totally. weather the weather here or the weather oh God. <laughs> man i heard in new york it's quite cold <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you so much for joining us ben is there anything that you would like to plug i think just sort of my like orlando furious project is kind of just putting out um little music and videos and stuff so if you sort of track that down i've got some shows coming up so or- orlando furious they can find that on facebook is that correct yeah facebook instagram youtube itunes spotify uh Bandcamp. yeah all, all of this all of the places all the places totally awesome thank you for, for joining us you can catch the hosts on facebook at nakia shoot comedy and adam o'sullivan comedian d4wh is on facebook twitter Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. Nakia also hosts Neighbourhood Watching with Beck and Nick, looking at the weird and wacky neighbours just over the back fence, available where all podcasts are. Adam regularly works with Big Fork Theatre in Brisbane. You can find him in some of the online shows on the Big Fork YouTube channel and also has sketches in the Get It In Ya podcast. If you enjoyed D4WH, please consider jumping onto our Patreon and donating. We release episodes early and for as little as $5 a month, we release mini episodes in between our normal episodes. D4WH is part of the Nerd Infinite, which can be found at thenerdinfinite.com. Uh, and, and until next time, keep searching the skies for the Doctor. Goodbye. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> this has been a production of the, the Nerd Infinite. Infinite. And then the sound of dragons spitting fire and stuff. What? Why are you looking at me like that?